0: chapter 21. We're going to be in uh, quite a few different chapters in Matthew uh, quite a bit this morning, and so just that way you can be there when we're there. But I want you to imagine that for three years you have heard of this man. Now, again, you don't know a whole lot, at least at the start, but the the murmur about him has gotten louder as the years have gone by. And at the beginning, you hear people have talked about this, this Jesus, how he is a rabbi, how he is a teacher, and people have begun to follow him. And the way that he teaches is such that you're hanging on every word. And he makes the complicated so simple. And yet, there are things that he says, it's like that is what my heart is yearning for. These ways of which even the religious leaders have made it that I have to follow after God, that it seems so difficult to connect with him. Like, there's just something about the words that Jesus says this rabbi, this amazing teacher. And yet, people have also started calling him a prophet. The things that he talks about is the kingdom of heaven, and here is is what to look forward to. And yet, here is what is going on right now. And because of that, here are the ways that we need to live. And he has to be a prophet speaking on behalf of God. But not just that, there's also all these accounts that he has done miracles, he's a miracle worker. And it's enough to know that he's not just pulling some sort of trick on people. The way that he is able to do things in front of individuals, like there's no denying it. And so you have those that have been blind are now able to see. People who could not walk are now jumping and praising God. You see that he's even got this uh, power over nature. Like he has, at one time, you hear, he has turned water into wine, or he has walked. Across the water. He has taken these five loaves of bread and two fish and used that to feed over 5,000 men, plus women and children. In fact, you've even heard recently of a time where a man named Lazarus was risen from the dead. Again, you're putting all these pieces together and and again, listening to people talk about this miracle worker rabbi, and it's now gotten to the point that people are saying he has to be the Messiah. The one who has been promised throughout the scriptures that will come and rescue us. The oppression that Rome has continued to put upon us. Like we're hoping this is the man that now is the time. That's who this Jesus is. And it's now the Passover. The Passover feast, which is celebrated for about seven days. And so people are coming together to Jerusalem for this celebration. And you hope that you maybe get to see him that maybe he will spend some time talking and teaching, and you get to listen to his words with your own ears. And it doesn't take long. You're at the market, you're out in the streets, and you begin to hear kind of a crowd down the road. And you look up, and you see these people who are cheering, and you get to notice that there is someone riding upon a donkey in. And as that's happening, this crowd is just continuing to cheer and to chant for him. And so Matthew, chapter 21, starting at verse 8, tells us a little bit more about this. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred and asked who is this and the crowds answered this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee and so this crowd and people are being drawn to it so many so much so that even people in the city that don't know have like who is this man and they're beginning to find out that it's Jesus and so some are excited and, and some not so much In fact, a couple of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they start screaming out, hey, you need to control your disciples. You need to quiet them down. To which Jesus simply says, if they quiet down, the rocks will cry out my praise. And so you continue to watch just to see what happens and things kind of die down. And then Jesus goes to the temple and he just kind of observes. And after a while, because it's late, he then goes back home to Bethany with the 12 disciples. And so Monday morning, he wakes up and comes back into the temple. But this time, it's not just to sit and observe. Well, in fact, let's keep reading. In Matthew 21, starting at verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written... He said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. What happens here is Jesus is not impressed with the way that people are handling the business. The business, in and of itself, is not bad, except that you were supposed to be selling these animals that were needed for sacrifice, but they were doing it in a corrupt way and making more money than they needed and, and taking advantage of the people. And Jesus is like, This is not what God, what my father had intended. And so this righteous anger overcomes him, and he says, this is really what it means to follow after the Father. And again, a crowd continues to come, and Jesus begins to heal people on that day who come to him needing that kind of help, and he continues to teach. And while this is going on, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, yet again begin to fear him. Like, look at this crowd that just continues to follow after him, and there's nothing we can do. Nothing that we've been able to do has stopped this, and they literally feel feel fear. And they're like, we have to do something to get rid of him. What can we do to take him out of the picture? And so, for the next couple days... On the Tuesday and on the Wednesday, Jesus continues to teach to whoever will listen and talking about the kingdom of heaven, specific things that they need to know. And then it gets to Thursday, which is Passover day. And you need to know that the preparations are all made that day for the meal, the evening meal. And the disciples and Jesus, they get together in an upper room. But apparently there's an argument that breaks out. Maybe who gets to sit closest to Jesus because it ends up being odd about who is the greatest. Now, I get it. We all sometimes get into arguments that maybe we are like, yeah, that was kind of petty. But this isn't the first time the disciples have had this argument. Like over these past three years of following after him, they've multiple times had this argument of who is the greatest. And yet again, in this moment, at this dinner, Jesus says, hey, if you want to be the greatest, then you must serve. If you want to be the greatest, then you must serve other people. But then he doesn't just stop there. He then shows them. Let me give you an example of what it means to serve. And so, in John 13, it says this, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So, He got up from the meal, He took off His outer clothing, and He wrapped a towel around His waist. And after that, He poured water into a basin and He began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. And so, Jesus is saying, It's all about serving one another. And the disciples, they still don't fully get it because Peter, who's just had his feet washed, say, well, if I'm unclean, then why don't you just wash all of me? And he's like, no, that's not the point. And after showing them that they're supposed to serve, the meal continues. And so if you turn over to chapter 26 of Matthew, still as part of this kind of final dinner, Jesus then speaks to them some more, starting in verse 21. Verse 21 says while they were eating he said to them i tell you the truth one of you will betray me and they were very sad and they began to say to him one after the other well surely not i lord and jesus replied the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me the son of man will go just as it is written about him but woe to the man who betrays the son of man it would be better for him If he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Well, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so, even in this meal, Jesus is showing what is about to happen, even though they fully don't understand everything. And Judas, amongst all this, then gets up to leave to be able to go and do what he has planned the betrayal. And so then the people, they get up, the disciples, they go out to the Mount of Olives to a specific little wooded area called Gethsemane that obviously they have gone to multiple times. And at this moment, Jesus needs to spend time with the Father. He knows what is about to happen. And so in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, we read this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, "'Sit here while I go over there and pray.' And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, "'My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me.' Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, "'My father, if it is all possible, "'may this cup be taken from me, "'yet not as I will.'" but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done." And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So Jesus is praying, And the amount of sorrow that he feels is more than we can speak of. So much so that Luke talks about that he begins to sweat drops of blood, this condition called hematidrosis, that when you are under so much stress, your capillaries will actually rupture. And so Jesus is there saying, is there any other way to accomplish what we need to accomplish? Because if so, this would be the time that I would love to do that. But he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And he comes back hoping his friends have been praying for him, but he finds them asleep and he wakes them up and says, hey, guys, look, another friend is now coming. And so, if we continue on in verse 47, we see this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. And then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. He drew it out, and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? every day. I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And so here we see Jesus not choosing to fight back. He knows this must happen so that everything could be fulfilled the way that has been foretold. And so Jesus is taken to these multiple trials that definitely don't go the way that Jewish law said a trial was supposed to go, and all these made-up accusations, and they're trying to get something to stick, and finally they figure something out that maybe gets the crowd all behind them. Jesus, the next morning, after the whole night of trials, looks, when he hears the rooster crow, at one of his leaders, who has denied him three times. And then he's taken before the governor named Pilate. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 11. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So Pilate is talking with Jesus, and he even takes him back, and so they can have some one-on-one conversations. And through the entire conversation, Pilate finds that Jesus has no guilt, like there is nothing that he has done wrong, especially deserving of death. But there's a big crowd outside, and he doesn't want all of his governorship to get taken away from him. And so he's got to figure out, what do I do to kind of keep control of the crowd? And he's like, I got it. All right, as, of, as is custom, during this time every year, I can release one prisoner. So he brings out Jesus and he brings out a man named Barabbas who was part of an insurrection, a a rebellion that had murdered someone. So whether it was him that did it or he was just part of it, we don't know for sure. But here's Barabbas and here's Jesus. Crowd, which one would you like for me to free today? Pilate thought he had it figured out until the leaders got the crowd going, we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas. And Pilate's plan A didn't work. And his wife then comes to him and says, hey, I had a dream about this man named Jesus, and he is innocent. You need to have absolutely nothing to do with all of this and where it might head. And again, he's trying to figure out, what do I do? He says, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to beat him up bad enough that maybe people will see him and with their heartstrings say, it's enough. And so he has him flogged, beaten to the point that you could barely even recognize who he is. They bring him out with this robe and this crown of thorns, mocking him and saying, here is Jesus, and he's ready to let him go. And the crowd just begins to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, all of his plans have not worked. And so he says, bring me a basin and some water. And he washes his hands and says, his blood is not upon me. I am innocent. It's on you. And they're like, that's fine. And so Jesus is then led away to be executed. And so he begins by carrying the crossbeam out of the city. But because he's been beaten so badly, he doesn't have the strength and he collapses on the way out. So a man standing there watching all this named Simon is, is grabbed and said, hey, you carry this and he carries it the rest of the way out there to Golgotha. And so they lay Jesus on the ground. They take the nails and they put it through his wrists and his feet. And he's now on the cross between two robbers. It's about 9 a.m. in the morning. And while he's there, people continue to walk by, mocking him, throwing insults at him. The soldiers, there playing a game, trying to figure out who's going to get his clothes. There's some of his followers still there, some of the women and John. But most are just laughing. For three hours, Jesus hangs there. Just enduring all of this. And then about noon, it becomes dark. That's not really the time that darkness is supposed to come. So you know something's going on, but God has made it dark at noon. And for three more hours, he continues to hang there. Again, not because of anything that he has done, but because of his purpose. And so during this time frame, he even looks down upon people and says to God, Father, forgive them they do not know what they're doing. And then near the end of those six hours of hanging there in extreme pain and suffering, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he says the word, Tetelestai, which means it is finished. It's done. And so the last breath leaves him And at that exact moment, this earthquake happens, and the veil at the temple is torn from top to bottom, and the Son of God hangs there lifeless. You know, every week we have a time in our service where we purposely remember those events, remember what's been done for us. And so it's our time of communion. And so if you didn't grab one of these on your way in, Will you raise your hand and we'll have one of the guys make sure that you get this. But every week, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. And even in the words that we read today, when Jesus was talking at that last supper, this bread, it represents my body that will be broken for you. The juice, it represents the blood that will be spilled for you. And so during these next few moments, we spend time, one, thinking about the sacrifice that he did. We also know that that's not the end of the story. But we also can thank him and just continue to pray alongside God. Will you use me? Will you make this not just become a story? May I I remember the things that you have done for me. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to just, just spend some time with Jesus. Father, I thank you for making a way for giving us forgiveness when we could not earn it on our own, no matter how good we are on some day or week or month or whatever it is. Jesus, thank you for saying, not my will, but yours be done, and and being faithful to the end. God, I'm thankful for the life that then that gives to us. And so over these next few moments, may we just sit in your presence, thankful and humbled and offering you up the thanks and praise that you deserve. It's in your name that we pray. So about one-third of the Gospels are actually focused on that last week, the things that we looked at this morning of Jesus' life leading up to the cross. And, uh, you know, we spent time looking at the events and probably some of you could be like, man, I've done church, I'm good. <laughs> like, you have heard the Gospel message this morning. Um, but I also want to look at this and just go, OK, so what does this mean for us? Like if I'm trying to take something from my life more than just, you know, hearing Scripture, even though, man, that's enough. Let me tell you some of these things, just looking at Jesus's example and things that I'm reminded, like here he comes in riding upon this donkey and he is the King of Kings. And I think about he could have any kind of triumphal entry he wanted. Yet this is the way it was chosen. But he is worthy of every bit of our praise. And then I see him go to the temple. And again, sometimes maybe you just thought that he overturned things just walking in immediately and that's the initial response. This was a calculated thing. Like again, seeing that people are doing this opposed to the way that God had set things up and his heart is frustrated because of the way of how difficult it is to get to God. He's like, it shouldn't be that way. And we're missing the main thing. And so even today, may we be reminded to keep Him as the main thing and continually seek Him. And in our lives, both worship here and worship as we're living the rest of the week, may we honor Him with everything that we have and everything that we are. And I look at Him, even amongst this last meal, that I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you and show you what it's all about. And You know what? A servant is not above his master. And so you and I, as followers of Christ, we are called to serve we're called to serve. And then I think about as he goes out to pray in Gethsemane, you know, some of those greatest words ever of, not my will, but yours be done. Like, Man, it's fantastic to read that. I don't want to say that. <laughs> I don't know if you, there are times in your life that you're like, hey, this is really what I want, God. Can we go down this route, you know, over here? But even in those moments, can I still say the words, not my will, but yours be done. I will follow after you. I will obey. I will persevere. And I look at Jesus' example even there. Or what about in the arrest and the trials? The amount of self-control that he shows is amazing to me. Because if you're anything like me, there are moments when someone does something and you want to make sure you know that they're wrong and that you're right and they know you're right. And Man, I want just to say, this is the way it is. And yet so much Jesus just... Bites his tongue, knowing that truth is going to win out, knowing that this is the way that it was uh, prophesied, and so it must be fulfilled, and the self-control, the lack of retaliation that he does, that everything else is just going to speak for itself, is incredible to me. He remembers his greater purpose, and may you and I, amongst the trials that we live each day, whatever that looks like, may we remember who we're living for, the greater purpose, and let truth win out by the things that we say, but also simply by the way that we live. And then we get to the crucifixion. And because of that, Jesus made a way. Because of that, you and I are able to have forgiveness. And I think about those words, it is finished. Not it will be finished sometime, you know, not there's still a whole bunch of things left to do. The price has completely been paid that you and I can now have access to the Father. The veil has been torn, and he is holding out his arms saying, I want you. I have made the way. Will you come and be with me again? And so this crucifixion, it was a big deal. Why? Because you're a big deal to him. You mean a lot to him, and that is why he chose to suffer. I Think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning at shame, and then he's going to sit down at the right hand of heaven. And I'm sure, yeah, that some of that joy that he's looking forward to, even while he's hanging on the cross, is, hey, I get to be with my father again. I'm, I'm positive of that. But part of the joy is you. That again, he was thinking about my sons and my daughters coming back and being with me. And so even as we're talking about the series of It's Not Over, well, what's not over? Well, first, Jesus' life isn't over, but you don't know that based off the sermon today, so just you know, forget that and we'll come back next week and see the good news there. But as we're talking about It's Not Over, you can also just look at, man, up to the very, very end, Jesus held on to his purpose. He didn't say, yeah, this week's going to be tough and just I'm going to throw in the towel. Nope. In every moment, he continued to follow footstep after footstep of what the Father wanted him to do. What an example for us that we might do the same. But if you really want to talk about it's not over, man, the great news from today that it's not over is my life. And your life does not have to be over when it comes to an end on this earth. That is why Jesus hung on that cross. That's why he endured everything up to that point so that you and I can be reconciled. Again, the price has been paid, but you still have to receive that gift. You don't have to do any other works. You have to receive the gift that he has offered to you. And that's why we have our time this morning of invitation. And we have our decision points because maybe you have heard the gospel message, not the Andy message, the gospel message, and you want to respond the Spirit is speaking to you, and you hear Him saying, I want you. I love you. Will you come and be part of my family? And if today you hear Him speaking and leading, then I encourage you to go to one of the decision points. That today you just say, God, it's not my life. It is yours, and I give it all to you. And the rest of us, we think about all that has happened, and we can be extremely grateful that our life is not over, that we'll get to be with Him for eternity, and we simply say, Jesus, because of that, I love you, and I want to live that way. So if you have a decision to make, I encourage you to go to the decision point. For the rest of us, let's sing those words to Him. We